Well, on your uh, program, in your program this morning is this study notes uh, form and uh, sermon notes form and uh, hope that you'll pull that out and use that this morning. Uh, at the top of that is a quote that I've been using the last couple Sundays. I, I first heard it 10 years ago when we were in the process of launching a new thing that would be called Life Point Church. And um, it's from a guy named Steve Shogren. He said, don't go to start a church, go to serve a city. Serve them with love. Small things done with great love will change the world. I've never forgotten that quote. It's kind of resonated uh, in my mind and heart for all these years. Uh, we've seen in this series that a, a concern uh, for the cities in which we live is a biblical concern. And throughout the Old and New Testament, cities figure prominently in the unfolding story of God's redemptive activity in the world. Cities matter to God, we have seen, because they're populated with people who matter to him. Cities matter to the mission of the church for the same reason, uh, because cities are the factories of culture. As you, you really think about that, um, as the cities go, so goes the culture at large. He who wins the city wins the world. We've also seen that the community of Christ followers in the city is called to be both proclaimers of the good news and practitioners of the good news. Uh, not just proclaimers, but practitioners also. We, we've, we've also seen that the community of Christ followers in the city is called to pray for and to pursue the shalom of the city. We saw that last week in Jeremiah 29, the, the shalom of the city, the peace, the prosperity, the welfare, the comprehensive flourishing of the city, which means that we will be in active pursuit of the spiritual well-being of, of all of our neighbors, for sure, because we believe that genuine peace begins with reconciliation with God through personal faith in Jesus Christ. And we will also be actively and enthusiastically engaged in pursuing their social, <coughs> material, and physical well-being. I want to remind you that at the heart of our faith is a man dying for his enemies. Uh, not judging them or railing against them as he died, but instead praying for them and forgiving them. Uh, we're never more like Jesus than when we are selflessly and sacrificially serving for the sake of others. Even those with whom we may fundamentally disagree with Politically, morally, religiously, and otherwise. At LifePoint, we've chosen to make the city in which God planted us a point of concern and compassion because we affirm that the people who live here matter to God. One of our core values as a church is this, that we seek to be a source of joy to our neighbors, uh, to our community, our civic leaders. We seek to contribute to the well-being of the cities in which we live. We invest time, energy, and resources to practically meet the needs of the last and the least among us. It's always been a priority for our church. So the purpose of this short series of messages, uh, and this is the third and final message in this, in this series, is really to help us to better understand the heart and mind of God uh, for healthy cities, the particular needs and dreams of the city in which we live, and then our calling and our capacities as a church to make a difference. Uh, and to that end, we have the privilege of, again, this morning welcoming a, another group of civic leaders and uh, hopefully gaining a greater understanding of our city through their eyes. So this morning, and what's cool is I, I know each of these guys, and I, I've I, I can call them friends, which is fun. So this morning we welcome uh, Lacey City Council members Lenny Greenstein and Jason Hearn, along with Lacey City Manager Scott Spence. Will you welcome them to LifePoint with me? Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for uh, making time to be with us this morning. We appreciate that so much. Uh, tell us about yourselves personally, a little bit about your family, and uh, the way that you view your particular leadership role. So my name is Scott Spence. I'm the Lacey City Manager. been uh, the city manager for the last seven years. Came to Lacey proper, if you will, in 1999. Um, I'm an Oregonian. I say that. I think I've finally been accepted by Washingtonians. Um, 
have married for 22 years. I have a son, 14 years old, that goes to Salish Middle School, and a daughter, 16 years old. She's now driving at North Thurston High School. I know, exactly. Um, uh, and we have a dog named Griffey, inspired by the Mariners. He's had a better season, unfortunately, than the Mariners. <laughs> but um, my role as the Lacey City Manager, a lot of people don't maybe know what a city manager is, sometimes confused with a planner. But um, really, it's the CEO of the city of Lacey. So my primary responsibility is make sure the, the operational aspects of the city is run um, prudently and correctly, and as well as the financial aspects of it. I'm appointed by the city council. I have seven bosses. Two are here with you today. And so my role really is to make sure that um, you know, the, the finance of the cities are run appropriately by state law, as well as the functions of the city when you think of public safety, transportation, Parks and Recreation, um, essential services when you think of water, sewer, and wa- or storm water. Uh, so that is my primary role within the city of Lacey. My name is Jason Hearn, and I'm a council member in my 11th year, which is uh, almost uh, a full three terms of four years. Uh, I serve on the, uh, the chair of the Transportation Committee, and I'm also on utilities and then I also serve for with the um, uh, Visitor and Convention Bureau, um, an ad hoc committee uh, against uh, human trafficking, and uh, oh, also um, LTAC, which is um, a committee that distributes uh, tax revenues collected by hoteliers for the purpose of uh, uh, community, de- community uh, development. Um, married 25 years this year. My wife and I have three kids. Uh, 27, I'm sorry, 17. Yeah, the math I guess you can't on that, buddy. call them kids anymore. Uh, 15 daughter, year old daughter, 17 year old son, 15 year old daughter, Jessica, and a 13 year old son. Great. Good morning. Uh, so my name is Lenny Greenstein. I'm married for almost 30 years. August will be 30 years. We have four daughters and six grandchildren, so full family life. Um, I am in my seventh year on the council. I sit on the finance committee, the general government committee, and the land use committee. Those are all internal committees made up of three council members each. Then we also sit on uh, interjurisdictional committees where there's someone from Lacey, Olympia, Tumwater, the county, that kind of thing. Uh, and those, everything I sit on is, deals primarily with uh, safety and policing. So I sit on law and justice committee. I sit on the EMS board and I sit on Medic 1 board, so, uh, and TCOM 911 uh, board. Great. So, guys, um, share with us what your personal vision is for, uh, for what a healthy city looks like. You know, to me, a healthy city is a, is a community. It's where people want to live. They want to be here. They, they work come together to do things, and we have that. I think we have a pretty healthy community here. Um, it's also some place where you can recreate, where you can have jobs without having to travel. All of that together, the, the amount of volunteerism and community orientation we have here is tremendous, and, and that's what makes a community. Uh, full disclosure, uh, Pastor Hayes delivered questions ahead of time, so I had a little time to think about it, so I don't think that I'm... Uh, that prepared, but I, I'm prepared. Um, I see the city, uh, the word city as a three-prong uh, entity where they're all separate but also work together. And one is the functional part of the city, um, the road you drive on, uh, the codes, the building codes that you live in, um, the taxes that you pay, the water service, that kind of thing, the functional part of the city, which is extremely important. Uh, the other uh, part of the, of the city that I see is community, where uh, uh, people gather together at the, at the uh, neighborhood block party that, that your church is, is very well involved with, um, the business community, the social services community, other communities get together, and I call that um, community part of the city. And then the third part I see is the spiritual aspect of the community, and that's where uh, people of faith come in. I'm, I'm a born-again Christian, so I see the health of the community on that part of it um, um, 
you know, how much Jesus is proclaimed in the gospel. So um, as far as the functional part, I think we're doing well. We'll talk more about the challenges, um, but we have a good infrastructure. Um, as far as the community goes, I think it's thriving. We have an excellent uh, local business community. We have an excellent social services helps community. I think that's fantastic. And as far as the spiritual, um, I'll let you all decide that. In terms of a healthy city, I think of really two words. And I mentioned this at the, I felt compelled to always tell the truth. I felt in this faith <laughs> environment here. I said this earlier, so I'm not saying anything different than the first service. You but want to perjure yourself. Yeah, that's right. I feel, having feel said better one now. Thing and <laughs> <laughs> but I mentioned to them that really, when I think of a healthy city, it's really about home and community. And home, and, and think of how powerful that word is. It's almost like faith in the faith community, right? Home is something that you want to belong to. It's something you go back to. It has meaning. It's when you think of your childhood, you think of your home. It's something that truly does resonate. And I think as a city, if it's healthy, it's a place you want to come back to. It's a place where your family is. It's a place where you want to raise a family or maybe even start a business. So to me, when I think of that, that that's a, you know, an aspirational word, if not what you want to be at, the, at that end of the spectrum of a healthy city. And then community. Community is something, again, where I just don't think you throw, throw about like it's, it's a community. It's like a, a noun or an adjective. I mean, really, when you think of community, is all aspects of the ge- geographical boundaries made up of your faith communities, your business community, your residents, who have a vested interest really in the future of the city. And community is a powerful thing. And when it's working, when people are working together to actually accomplish goals, um, Quick example, when the council leadership uh, agreed to identify the Lacey Food Bank as a project because there was a need in the community, you know, you had the Thurston County Food Bank step up, obviously, since they're operated, but you had North Thurston Public Schools step up in partnership with the city. The business community came in, and it's amazing when you think of those major partners involved to accomplish one thing, what you can do, and I think that really does resonate when you think of a healthy community. Hmm. So... Um Communities and cities evolve and change over the time. You solve one set of problems and and then right behind them another set takes their place. But what are you particularly encouraged by personally uh, as a private citizen and as a city leader? Uh, what kind of things are developing in, in our community that, that really are encouraging to you? You know, one thing, I think, People, when people talk about Lacey, the community they want to come here, I think people want to come to Lacey. It has quality of life. And, you know, if there is one primary goal of a city is to improve the quality of life of residents and businesses. And so people are locating here because they like, one, they like the roads. They're, you know, well-maintained. They like the park system that we have. We have a great park system. Uh, They like the area. They like the pace. And so from those standpoints, that's very encouraging that we've, been able in the last say 10 20 years maintain a quality of life that people you know want to stay here and live here and raise a family here uh, northeast lacy i mentioned this um my, my <laughs> divulging here went said this to the, the first uh, service northeast lacy really has taken off north of i-5 um, there's a number of businesses that have taken off i mentioned uline medline um, there is a, a trader joe's um, i'm sorry a, a wholesale a refrigeration warehouse that's actually um, being built right now. There's a lot of construction that's creating, um, you know, well over thousands of jobs in the area. And so you think of uh, what you want to do as a community is to create some sort of job generation so someone doesn't have to drive, you know, 60 or even 80 miles a day on their daily commute. So that's very encouraging. And then when you think of just the, I'll say the orderly growth or the plan growth, it's actually those um, plans and visions that have been talked about for 10, 15 years are starting to happen. So from that standpoint, that is very encouraging. Great. So I'm encouraged with the opportunity that Lacey has being that we're 50 years old now, and when we um, were birthed out of a kind of a fuss with Olympia back in the 60s, um, uh, we had the opportunity to uh, manage and plan and grow as a modern city where we were not landlocked or waterlocked. So um, we're, we're reaping the fruits right now of that opportunity to, to grow in, as a modern city where by 
you know, 20 and 30 year old plans are coming to fruition now and we can look ahead as much as 75 years in some situations and, and make plans. And so we have that uh, opportunity that Lacey's had since for 50 years and looking ahead, we have that opportunity too to plan well and, and, and grow accordingly and manage, manage the growth that we have. Um, so I, I see that as a, as a huge opportunity where um, other communities are having to retro and rebuild and rejuvenate. Um, we're on a fiscally, but also um, strategy-wise, um, we can take advantage of the opportunities, like Scott mentioned, of you know national, strong, solid businesses moving in, and boom, instantly being part of the community. I think that's our biggest opportunity, so I'm excited about that. So as a city, we have obviously a lot of challenges, but we have a tremendous amount to be encouraged by. Uh, first, we have really good job growth. We have a lot of construction going on, primarily, like Scott said, in the northeast part of the city. Uh, that's very encouraging. The other thing that's very encouraging is that we've been fiscally responsible over the years, and that's not necessarily us, but past councils, past staff, and current council and staff. And because of it, we're in a really good financial position as a city. We have very little debt, which is really good for the health of the city's finances. Uh, the, the other part that's super encouraging to me is the, the compassion of this community and the volunteerism. It's incredible how many different organizations, nonprofits, and such that we have in our community, and they all get support. So both financial support and volunteer support. We just have a very strong community, and I think that will get us through whatever comes at us in the future. Cool. So having said that, what are you seeing as some of the more prominent needs and concerns of the city at present, including you know, those that may be particularly difficult to address or, or particularly difficult to solve? So there are several uh, concerns. I think right now our biggest concern, probably the, the biggest obstacle right now is homelessness and affordable housing. Uh, not quite as visible in Lacey as it is maybe in Olympia with their downtown area, but it's here. We have a serious problem. Uh, just here in the school system, we have 900 homeless children in the North Thurston School District. That's an astronomical number, and it's very, very difficult, very expensive to fix, uh, but we have to do it, right? We have to figure out how we're going to deal with the homelessness issue. Money isn't the only answer, and it's part of it because obviously we need more housing, but if we don't get the services that go along with that, we can't fix the problem. You can see lots of places that are throwing a lot of money at this issue. That in itself isn't going to fix it. Um, I really appreciate what Jim's done. He's been involved in our homelessness uh, committee that the city has put together, a faith-based faith community. Um, but I, I think that's going to be our biggest challenge. That and, of course, just the economy in general. You know, the economy's been strong. We're doing really well. But we all know that there will be another recession, right? What goes up comes back down. We will have a recession in sometime in the future. And you know, I worry about can we continue? Can we get through that and stay whole without having to you know, lose people or not be able to provide the services that we provide as a city? There are, um, in my opinion, several challenges caused by um, a bigger, bigger challenges. So I agree that, you know, homelessness is an issue maybe not as a percentage but as a number of homeless but also you know crime our rates of crime remain well okay not bad but the numbers of crimes and then uh, traffic uh, when a population grows as fast as we're growing right now you can't instantly have more roads and more roundabouts. So the, the speed of which, and, you, and when, if, if the percentage of crime is maintained, but the population grows and there's more crimes, it's difficult to all of a sudden take on three new police officers, just like that. So the biggest challenge that we have overall, I think, right now, is, the, uh, is, is fast growth, you know? You know, how would you like to see your taxes double now so we can get roads built next year? <laughs> or, you know, it just it doesn't work like that. And with, during the recession, the builders uh, and Lacey, and there was also some water issues in there too, we were on a freeze. So 
now the people keep coming in, uh, soldiers from JBLM keep moving in, and you know you can't build enough houses fast enough to take stress off the housing market, to bring the prices down, to have more people get into homes. Um, so uh, fast growth, I think, is our biggest challenge right now. Kind of echoing uh, what uh, two council members said, one, homeless really is an issue, and we need more community dialogue about that. It's more visible than it's ever been before. You see cities like Seattle, Portland, um, struggling with how to deal that. I mentioned uh, there was a Seattle Times article. Uh, King County, which obviously includes Seattle, is spending $195 million on homelessness. That number is staggering when you think about it. And then you look at our challenges here, even locally. You know, how do you, you know, how do you try to attack that? And Councilor Greenstein is right. And money is not necessarily the answer, but we definitely need some new ideas and new approaches on how to get beyond what that is. But that's a major issue. Mentioned the economy. You know, the for the city of Lacey, 21, 22% of our revenue base is based on sales tax, and our business model is changing. And when I say that, retail is changing. And so maybe just by a show of hands, how many in this audience has a prime account from Amazon? Okay, that's about so 50% of all households in the United States have a prime account. Now, obviously you still pay sales tax when you buy something from Amazon. But think of what Amazon's doing in terms of changing Main Street and brick-and-mortar companies. So if Sears is now out of business, you no, you no longer have that property value that Sears used to generate for a community, and you no longer have the jobs that people used to work at a Sears. And so from a, a city standpoint, city manager, that's something that kind of keeps me up late at night to think, okay, what is going to happen in the next five to seven years as consumer habits change and what we spend our money on and where it's being spent and then how do you provide those essential services like public safety and parks and roads um, if you don't have a thriving business community that's based on you know storefronts and employees so it's kind of an interesting challenges really for any city in the state of Washington it depends on sales tax hmm. what are some really specific practical ways that you can see that that faith communities like ours, but not just ours, um, can make a difference right now in the city of Lacey and, and, and really contribute towards maybe solving some of these problems and, and really being part of uh, creating a healthy city. So you really need to give yourself some credit. So... Pastor Hayes has actually been involved with the city. We've been engaging our faith community because that's something as a city we have not done, which I'm glad that we're now initiating that process. And a primary discussion point we're having with our faith organizations within Lacey is what can we do around homelessness? Is that homeless prevention? Is there special projects that we think we can move the needle on? And probably the bigger lift, which is obviously harder, is sheltering. You know, is, a, is there a faith organization that would be willing to house maybe an RV or even, um, you know, a pallet house or two on their property. That's, um, that's a huge shift in terms of what would that look like. Um, but that is a discussion we need to have. Um, I think really we're in the age of social media, what I think local government right now suffers from, it's hard to gauge where the community is headed all the time. You know, even 10, 12 years ago, it was a lot easier. You had the local newspaper, and you kind of had a sense of what the community was thinking, what the thoughts were the community, what, what the concerns the community were. Now you break down all the different media outlets, and you have, you know, you have Twitter, you have Facebook, um, you have still radio, you have TV, you have newspaper. There's still people still read the newspaper. But it's amazing trying to reach that audience and try to either articulate where a community is going or where it needs to go. And really, as a faith community, we need to hear more dialogue as a city from everyone out in this audience to make sure that one, we're right on the right path or if we're doing something that maybe seems 180 from the direction of the public that, uh, that doesn't make sense. So really we need more community engagement. I see faith organizations playing a larger role in that and being more engaged. So I, I too would like to applause this congregation and Pastor Hayes for having this forum and for being engaged in the uh, um, um, annual block party that you're a big part of for, for years. So thank you for that. I think that's part of the solution and a good thing. Uh, I'd like to see uh, more uh, Christian elders in office and on 
uh, committees and uh, on boards and in government. Um, uh, personally speaking, just me, uh, you know, it is a challenge to be a working person raising a family and being on the council. I'm not looking for your pity. I ran. But um, uh, looking back, I, I wonder if, if there was a uh, retired elder uh, that had more life experience and uh, maybe more time uh, running against me if I wouldn't have endorsed them and ran and helped them campaign. But, you know, uh, if more uh, uh, of the faith community realized that they could be in government and be involved, and you have to be a little bit thick-skinned because once I was, or a few times I'm, you know, introduced at a chamber meeting or whatnot as, or, or a, a group as an elected official, it's like, oh no, you know, half the people don't like me already, you know, it's like you put yourself in there, but um, uh, we, we are very privileged. We are in a civil society. It's pretty close to not being civil, but, um, you know, in other parts of the world, it's still uh, guns and swords, so we don't have that, so uh, we should take advantage of that. Thank you to our service members here who help defend that freedom that we can be civil and do the hard work to, to pr preserve that. But um, so uh, you're engaged in the community, get engaged in civics. It's fascinating and um, you can do a lot of good, especially uh, those that uh, are elders and have life experience that can really put that on the table and to the votes. So it would be great to see. So, excuse me, Scott and Jason have covered this one pretty well, but I'll add a couple of things. You know, there's a lot of um, different commissions and boards that actually advise the council on things, and those are appointed from the city, from people who live here in the city. So there's the planning commission, there's the parks board, there's a library board. There's about a half a dozen of those. More participation there, I think, would be one area where you could really step up and help our community. The others, and I've been really lucky uh, being on the board for the Homeowners Association Horizon Point that we've had a great relationship with you, with you, the church, and Jim. And you guys have stepped up and you know, helped us. You do the, uh, trick or, the trunk or treat with you in our neighborhood. And we've done a couple of Santa Claus events over the years. And you guys help us tremendously with National Night Out. Those are the kind of things that I think matter. That's where the community comes in. We need you to be participating, uh, whether it's in those kinds of functions, whether it's on those commissions, whether it's running for office, or even just being at a council meeting. You know, we, we do most of our meetings. Every meeting we do is open to the public, right? Uh, very seldom is there very much public there, to tell you the truth. We don't hear from the people a lot. And I think since our job, particularly those of us who are in elected office, we represent you. I only know what you want if you tell me. So that would be, that's, that's a big part of what the community could do. Tell us what we're doing right. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us what you need. You know, we want to hear more from the community. Mm. Well, I for one am really thankful that you three are involved in, in our city. And I thank you for your leadership. And uh, Scott's a new friend and I'm thankful for this new friendship. But uh, thank you guys for, for what you do and for your heart for this city. Can I pray for you before you... Go back to your seats. Father God, I thank you for these three men and, and, and those that they represent, the rest of our city council and, and all those who give leadership to this city of Lacey. And uh, Father, we pray your blessing on them. We pray that you would fill them with wisdom and discernment and uh, creative imagination and uh, diplomacy for working with uh, difficult people that I'm sure they have to encounter frequently. And Lord, uh, we know that the, uh, the needs are great, the opportunities are even greater, and so uh, we pray that you would bless this city and uh, that it would be a place of real flourishing for all of us. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you. I think they're gonna hang around, is that my correct about that? Okay, cool. So if, you, uh, if you'd like to talk with them, um, like Lenny said, they're lonely, so talk, talk to them. Hey, um, in the time I have left, and I hope you'll indulge me a little bit, um, I, I want to just share some final 
thoughts to kind of wrap this series up. This morning's message is titled The Transformational Sweet Spot. In sports, the sweet spot is uh, that point on a baseball bat or a tennis racket or a golf club where when the ball is struck, uh, rotation and vibration are just neutralized. The ball bounces off with the greatest possible velocity. In the world of acoustics, the, the sweet spot is that focal point between two or more speakers where, where the listener is fully capable of hearing the audio mix the way it was intended to be heard by the mixer. Well, in the work of community transformation, I believe that the sweet spot is, is that intersection where the needs and dreams of the city, the, the mandates and the desires of God, and the calling and the unique capacities of the church converge. And that's what I want to unfold, unfold to you this morning. And as I do that, I, I want to um, just point out three spheres and four intersections um, and just uh, help us understand how vital it is that we begin to engage each of them because they have something important to tell us. The first sphere, then, will be the needs and the dreams of the city. Every city has needs. We've been talking about them this morning, the last couple of weeks. Some of those needs are obvious. Uh, they're pressing problems that, that just cry out to be addressed. Homelessness, one of them uh, currently. Uh, there are others that are obscure. They're present, but they're less visible. They're less pressing, perhaps, but they're, but they're real and, and they're present. Cities also have dreams and aspirations and, and hopes for what they'd like to become and what they'd like to be known for. So how do we discover the needs and the dreams and the hopes and aspirations of the city? Well, simplest way is to ask those who are in a position to know. Um, people who are actively serving the city in its various sectors because they have a unique perspective, uh, maybe a deeper, uh, more comprehensive, um, more layered view of the city than, than we might have individually. Another is to read the newspaper. I don't know if any, anybody actually does that anymore, but um, read the newspaper. Pay attention to local news. Another is to, is, is to engage our neighbors and, and simply to listen to them, we shouldn't miss the realization that that there is a fundamental commonality among all of us who live in a city, in terms of our hopes and our desires for the communities in which we live. And those common dreams form common ground between government and and, and other organizations, and they can serve as a catalyst for cooperation and community transformation. The, the second sphere we'll, we'll just label with the phrase the mandates and the desires of God. The mandates and the desires of God. Uh, if you read our church's mission and vision statements, um, you'll see that underlying our mission and vision statements are, are what the Bible calls the great commandment, uh, what some have labeled the great compassion, and also the great commission. Well, the great commandment as you know, was articulated by Jesus when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And you know, you think about loving our neighbor as we love ourselves has a lot to do with creating, cultivating um, a healthy city. The great compassion is found just a couple of chapters later. And the setting of this teaching of Jesus is, is uh, he's talking about what it will be like in the, in the judgment in the last day. And referring to himself in, in this picture as the king, Jesus taught his disciples, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? 
When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. The Great Commission was given by Jesus to his disciples after he had been crucified, after he had been raised from the dead, just before he ascended into heaven. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So the great commandment, the great compassion, and the great commission are not identical to each other. So we can't think if, that if we've done just one or two of them that we've fulfilled our responsibility. The great compassion doesn't complete the great commandment, nor does it replace the great commission. Neither does the great commission supersede the great commandment. God's desire is that we would love each other, love our neighbors, uh, serve the needy with love and compassion, and tell everyone the good news about God's love, acceptance, and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. That's the fullness of of who and what God has called us to be and to do. The third sphere is the calling and the capacities of the church. Uh, Whether or not we always feel wanted, whether we're invited to a place at the table in the community, we believe that the community cannot, in fact, be healthy without the active engagement and involvement of the church in its life. And that's the way God designed it. That's the way God intends it. Each church has different capacities based on things like size, location, gifting, resources. Every church shares a common calling to contribute to the transformation of its community. We saw that really clearly last week. That transformation is the product of the church living out the great commandment, living out the great compassion, living out the great commission. Peter wrote, your conduct among the surrounding peoples in your different countries should always be good and right, so that although they may, in the usual way, slander you as evildoers, yet when disasters come, they may glorify God when they see how well you conduct yourselves. Um, you know, at the, at the center of most, if you've been paying attention, most of the natural disasters that, that we've sustained as a country in different parts of the country in the last several years at, at, at the center of those who are doing the work of cleanup and, and uh, restoration of homes and restoration of businesses, restoration of communities are Christians. And it's just amazing how many people, they come from all over the United States and literally all over the world and they'll just move in and help for months or weeks and months at a time. Uh, churches are at the core of that frequently. Uh, several years ago, a number of us from LifePoint went to a conference in Arizona where a man named Judd Wilhite spoke. Judd's a pastor of a church in Las Vegas. Uh, and he said this at that time, reach out to broken people and you'll always have an audience. Never forgotten that. Reach out to broken people, you'll always have an audience. There's, there are broken people everywhere who need help. Every church has the capacity, every church has the capacity, every church has the calling to contribute to the transformation of the community, especially by ministering to those on the margins. Uh, Intersections form where these three spheres, the city, God, and the church meet. And they represent what happens between the spheres when they overlap. So intersection number one is between the secular interests of the city and the heart of God. You might think of this intersection where the needs and dreams of the city come together um, with the mandates and desires of God apart from the church in terms of common grace. It was the term that the reformer John Calvin used 500 years ago to describe the things that, that God wants to do for the city that he does not need the church to accomplish. 
Uh, common grace is a way of talking about God's goodness toward everyone, whether they are believers in Jesus Christ or not. Uh, Jesus said he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Uh, he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. At street level, the common grace of God includes blessings like schools, uh, city infrastructure, services, transportation, housing, food and clothing, police and fire protection, all those things that Scott just said keep him uh, awake at night. In every city in the United States and around the world, there are people who are unfortunately excluded from these expressions of common grace. And historically and repeatedly, when people are excluded from God's common grace in a city, it has most often been God's people in the city who have stepped into those circumstances to advocate for them and to serve them with compassion. We know that God's heart is for our city, and so we should pray that our own hearts will be broken for the things that break his. Second intersection is between the city and the church. I use the phrase, apart from the will of God. Between the city and the church, apart from the will of God. And, and the best term, I think, for this space is control. Uh, why that? Well, the history of, of this particular intersection has generally, historically, been somewhat negative, somewhat pro problematic. And because we're talking here about attempts by the state to control the church, Attempts by the church to control the state neither have exceeded in achieving a sustained impact for the gospel and neither has served to further the growth, the expansion of the kingdom of God. But it's important to note also historically that, that the true church has always, always flourished and grown in places and circumstances where those in power are hostile to the claims of Christ. I'm glad it isn't true of you guys. But, but the church has always flourished. Think about when it began. It began in the first century AD under, under the Roman Empire, under a crazy like Nero, uh, and, and suffered intense persecution. But the, the, but the more the church was afflicted, the more it multiplied, the more it spread. Uh, we who follow Christ are citizens of another kingdom, we'll, but we'll only be freed to serve now in the present when we root our identity in the kingdom of God first and the kingdoms of men second. And when we do that, uh, we're enabled, I think, to apply that universal no symbol uh, over the word control to say, don't go there. It's a fruitless pursuit third intersection is between the mandates and the desires of God and the calling and the capacities of the church. And the word I'll use there is salvation uh, for that third intersection where we see what God wants for the city, what the church has the calling and capacity to do for the city, which brings the message of salvation and the ministry of service to the community. Paul wrote, God our Savior wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of of the truth. In another place he said, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That's, that's our identity. Ambassadors of Christ, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's our core message. You may have noticed that no one in the city is necessarily asking to be saved, at least not in a spiritual sense. Um, and since that's true, how is it, how can we go about bringing salvation to the city if no one or most people really don't seem to want it? Uh, and that brings us to the fourth intersection, which is the transformational sweet spot. And the label I will place on that intersection at that transformational sweet spot, I believe, is service. Service. Service is, is the only intersection where we see all three spheres, the, the needs and dreams of the city, the mandates and desires of God, the calling and capacities of the church converging and overlaying each other. Cities resist being reached 
the way we evangelicals use the word reach. But they love being served. They love being loved. (laughs) They love being blessed. Cities generally care very little about our efforts to evangelize them. Uh, They may and probably will even resist that. You've noticed that, I'm sure. But what is true is that they will listen when we speak to their deeply felt needs and dreams. That's what we saw in Acts 8 two weeks ago. Where it said of that city in, in Samaria, in the region of Samaria, that there was great joy in that city. Service is powerful because the gospel shouts when it comes through love. And meeting those needs and participating in those dreams in the context of meaningful relationships generates goodwill, which in turn provides a platform for sharing good news. Romans 2.4 says that it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. And barriers to the gospel often melt away when people experience God's kindness through act of service and blessing from God's people. There was a Christian apologist in the first century in, in the city of Athens, a man named Aristides, who described the Christians to the Roman emperor Hadrian in these words. He said, they love one another. They never fail to help widows. They save orphans from those who would hurt them. If they have something, they give freely to the man who has nothing. If they see a stranger, they take him home and are happy as though he were a real brother. You know, somewhere along the line, somewhere in history, I know not where, this kind of lifestyle, this kind of lifestyle of Christians got exchanged for we don't smoke and we don't chew and we don't go out with girls that do. Didn't it? So this kind of internal morality replaced an external lifestyle of service as the priority. Nothing wrong with morality. Good grief. Morality is extremely important. But the kind of morality that gives itself sacrificially is Christian morality. And although we want everyone to be restored to a relationship with God through personal faith in Jesus Christ, we do not serve the community. Listen to me. We do not serve the community primarily to see the community converted. We serve the city first because we have been converted. We don't serve the community so that others will become Christians first. We first serve the community because we are Christians. Because our lives have been changed. Paul wrote, for Christ's love compels us. I love having the opportunity when I'm asked the question, why would anyone do this for us? When we're out doing service in the community, we're backpacks, whatever it is. Someone says, why would anyone do this for us? I I love to be able to answer, it's because the love and the compassion of Christ compels us. Not it's because we're such great people. Yeah, we're just so kind. No, we're not. We're broken, selfish people that have had an experience of Jesus Christ and it is the love and the compassion of Christ that compels us. I love being parts of part of movements and ministries that can't be explained apart from the presence and the power of Jesus Christ working through us. Simple things done with great love will change the world. And the easiest point of entrance into someone's life is a simple deed done in kindness. It's always been true. It always will be true. When God's people become conformed to the image of Christ, attitudes and and motivations just get transformed. And by the way, this is one of the best ways to measure your progress toward spiritual maturity. 
Because to be perfectly mature in Christ is to be perfected in love. I know that's a shock. Because you thought it was knowing the Bible front and back. Being able to win theological arguments. It's not. To be perfectly mature in Christ is to be perfected in love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Well, I need to close. I hope that you have been listening carefully to the needs and dreams of the city from the perspectives of our city leaders. This morning, in the last two weeks, I hope that you've been looking and listening on your own to discern the needs of people in your own neighborhood. I hope that you're thinking practically about how you can make a difference because the whole purpose of this little series has simply been to stimulate our godly imagination for how we can serve. And I think that there are more answers to the question than we will even have time to fulfill. On your sermon notes form are these two questions I'd like, I'd like to ask you to take some time to think about this week. First of all, what unique capacities do you personally and does LifePoint Church corporately possess that can be brought to bear to serve our city? You know, we, we're, all do also, we're already doing some great things. There's no doubt about it. And it's been a privilege to be a part of all that. I think there's more. And, and so how can we think about that together? And don't presume that, that, you know, you guys have, you know, that we leaders have already thought of all the answers. We haven't. Um, and like Lenny said, we need you to talk to us. We, we would love to hear what God is saying to you. And then secondly, what is your life group being called to be and do in the transformational sweet spot? Because when we talk about life groups here at LifePoint, there's, there's three legs to the stool. One is... Um, is uh, relational community just is and, and and building relationships and that's really important the second one is spiritual growth and that's incredibly important so we're studying the bible together we're praying together we're encouraging each other to walk in obedience to christ but the third is service together i don't want to challenge us i haven't pressed the pedal hard enough on this in our life group but i, I want to challenge you in this coming year uh, to to seriously consider how your life group can be engaged in serving this community in a way that's unique to you, um, and, and you know, and, and and I hope that you'll think about together maybe serving in the labor of love food drive. But there are lots of other ways that you can serve in this community. And if you need some ideas, talk to these guys before they leave. Let's pray together. Father, thank you uh, for these three weeks that we have had to think about these things. And uh, thank you for the leaders who have been willing to uh, give up their uh, personal time on a weekend to be here with us and to uh, help us think more about how we can fulfill our calling as a church. And Lord, we pray that we would be found uh, responsive, that we would be found faithful uh, to what you show us and that we'll continue to be obedient uh, in, in the ways that you want to use us. Lord, thank you that you've called us together as a church in this place and uh, that we have the privilege of being uh, part of advancing your kingdom uh, in the cities in which we live. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.